We've got a special guest here to introduce the podcast this week. Take it away. Uh, this is Great Radio, <laughs> and this is my parents' dog, Isla, making her first appearance. Usually she's really noisy and loves barking, but she's chosen this as one time to be quiet. Maybe she's got stage fright. She licked the microphone earlier. She was feeling quite chipper, but... Oh, come on, Isla, say something. No, Okay. Anyway, this is very exciting. We're in Dominic's childhood home in London. And there's pictures of him with bad hair everywhere. I knew I shouldn't invite you here into my safe space. Just looking around his house, everything makes so much sense. Like, I'm looking at a trumpet right now. There's just instruments and pictures of you with bad hair everywhere. It's great. Anyway, uh, this is very exciting. We're here in London together. And uh, what what are we talking about this week, Dominic? Well, this week, Katie did an interview without me because I was busy singing away, which I'm sad about because it was with one of our favourite returning guests, our unofficial Polish correspondent, Anja Jakubek. But also, uh, yeah, I'm sad to miss it because of the subject matter. Uh, Anja will be joining Katie later in the show to talk about Renia Spiegel, a Jewish-Polish diarist who was killed during the Second World War at the age of 18. Her diaries have finally been published into English for the first time and Anya will be here later on to talk about them. But first... Who's had a good week, Dominic? It has been a good week for Europeans. Oh, yes. what, us the podcast or no, all of us? All of the Europeans, after a Eurobarometer survey was released this week, which contained some pretty encouraging headline statistics that make it seem like Europe in general is becoming a better and more accepting place to live. Some of those good news statistics include... of respondents said that they would be happy with having a woman in the highest elected position in their country. That's an increase of 7% from the last survey in 2015. Mm -hmm. Not bad. Only 12% of the country are (laughs) misogynists. Yeah. 69% said they'd be happy with the leader being a person with a different religion, which is a 13% increase since 2015. And 76% of Europeans believe that gay, lesbian and bisexual people should have the same rights as heterosexual people. That's an increase of 5%. I mean, I guess here the thing is you have to concentrate on the increases rather than the actual numbers, which are still not like 100% of people are really tolerant and nice. Yeah. Things are moving in the right direction, and I think that is the thing we have to take away from this. And the improvements since 2015 are not insignificant and show an increase in tolerance and understanding of each other. Perhaps these statistics could even be read as some small sign that the patriarchy is beginning to melt away. However, if you look more closely at the data, the picture across the continent isn't even, and it shows some pretty stark differences across the continent. For example, on this question of whether gay, lesbian and bisexual people should be given the same rights as heterosexual people, there is a huge difference between countries like Sweden, where 98% of people surveyed supported the idea, and a country like Slovakia, which had the lowest agreement, only 31% agreed with this idea, Wow! which is actually a dip of five percentage points since 2015. Hmm. It's perhaps not news that there is much less support for LGBTI people in Central and Eastern European countries compared to Northern and Western Europe generally. But this survey shows the difference in pretty stark terms. The survey also asks people whether or not they would be happy with their children being in relationships with someone of a different religion, ethnicity or race. 
And whilst there was progress towards acceptance in almost every case, I still found it pretty shocking that still today in 2019, only 69% of people said they'd be happy with their child being in a relationship with a Jewish person. And only 66% of people were happy with the idea of their child being in a relationship with a black person. It makes me realize that, yeah, I live in a bit of a bubble and I just can't imagine coming across someone who wouldn't be okay with their child being in a relationship with a Jewish person or a black person. And I know the majority are, but it's a significant minority. The good news is that, as said, there is progress um, with most of these questions around who you'd be happy with your child being in a relationship with. They went up about 10% over the last four years compared to 2015. And that is pretty speedy, but it also doesn't really feel speedy enough. So whilst progress might not be as fast as we hope or as we need, at least there is progress. And for that, we're giving Europe good week. Can I just say, I really love the Eurobarometer website. It's like my favorite nerd website. It is a gold mine of all kinds of like weird data sets. Love it's it. It's great. And they have some nice infographics for all these things. Uh, so if you're a geek like me and Katie, then it's quite fun. The surveys, if you don't know about them, they're conducted on behalf of the European Commission and they've been going since 1973. Each survey consists of about a thousand face-to-face interviews per country. So it's a lot of legwork and um, I think it's quite an interesting thing to exist. Thank you, you're a barometer. And thank you people for being less bigoted than they were last year. Yay. Or like on current sort of rates of projection, in maybe 15 years or something, everyone will be nice. I just hope it doesn't plateau. Fingers crossed. Who's had a bad week, Katie? Uh, Yeah, so for Bad Week this week, I want to talk about the people that were found in the back of this truck. Uh, It's a really horrible thing to talk about, but I think it's something that we need to talk about. It's quite easy to think of these things as being senseless tragedies when they're not entirely senseless. There are reasons behind them, and unfortunately our policies make up part of those reasons. Sorry to interrupt, but do you think everyone outside of the UK knows what you're talking about? No. So just to fill you in quickly, last Wednesday, the bodies of 39 people were found in the trailer of a lorry in Essex, which is the part of England where I'm from. Uh, It was a refrigerated truck and it's still not clear whether they died from the cold or if they ran out of air. But either way, it's almost unthinkably horrific. And there are lots more questions than there are answers at the moment about who these people were and how they came to be in this truck. We know that they probably came from China and Vietnam, but we don't know who arranged for them to attempt such a horrifically dangerous way of getting to England, whether they were forced into it or the individual reasons for everyone on board making that journey. We just don't know these things. We do know that this is a tragedy that spans Europe. It ended in Essex, but the truck had arrived on a ferry from Zeebrugge in Belgium. The truck itself was registered in Bulgaria and the driver was from Northern Ireland, although it's still unclear at the time of recording whether he knew what was in the truck. I've been really struggling to make sense of this over the last few days. You could choose and plenty of people will choose just to see this as an illegal immigration attempt that went horribly wrong and and that's that. And if you follow that logic, then what responsibility do we or our governments have for what happened? Like if you're going to blame anyone, blame the people smugglers who organised the trip and were likely paid tens of thousands of euros by the people making the journey. But the fact is that the island that we're sitting on right now is an island where many people want to come very, very desperately. Either they've got family here or they speak the language. But for whatever reason, for them, it feels worth it taking very, very substantial risks trying to get here. 
And at the same time, we also have a government that's left very, very few safe and legal ways to get into this country. And if you do get here illegally, there's a rather infamous policy called the hostile environment, whereby the government basically makes life as unpleasant as possible in the hope that they'll just that you'll just go home. Uh, it basically creates an underclass of people that have no rights and it's kind of deeply horrible. And yet people keep coming. It's become very clear by now that these things called push factors, the various different policies that the government uses to make it as difficult as possible to get here, those things are not putting people off. And it's uncomfortable to say it, but our policies to some extent make tragedies like this one more likely. I was pretty struck uh, being here in the UK this weekend and a lot of the newspapers had the face of this woman who from Vietnam who authorities think was probably on the truck because of text messages that she sent to her family. And having a face there makes it feel even more disturbing. I mean, we shouldn't need to see the face of these people to understand the scale of this tragedy. But there was something so upsetting about the text message she sent to her parents in which she talks of not being able to breathe and apologizes to her parents and then puts her address down. People assume because she wanted the authorities to be able to identify her body and know where to send her body back to. It's just one of the most horrific stories I've heard about in this country for a long time. Yeah. We're meant to be a bit of an uplifting podcast. <laughs> can, we, can we bring the dog back? <laughs> yeah. Isla! What we really need now, Dominic, is an interview about the Holocaust. A lot of people say that they listen to this podcast because it cheers them up. That might be changing this week. Yeah, I'm sorry. But, but, it is a sad story, but it's one that's told very engagingly by uh, none other than our woman in Warsaw, Anya Jakubek. Anya wrote recently about the diary of Renya Spiegel. She's kind of Poland's answer to Anne Frank. She was this very bright 18-year-old who documented her experience of going into hiding as a Jew in Poland during World War II. But her story has been much less well-known than Anne Frank's until now. And I spoke to Anya to find out why. Who was Renia and where did she grow up? Tell us a little bit about where she came from. So Renia was this Jewish-Polish girl. At the time when that she started writing her diary, which was uh, in 1939, a few months before the war began with when Nazi Germany invaded Poland on September 1st. So she started the diary around January. And at that point, she was living with her grandparents because her mother was busy promoting her younger sister's career in Warsaw. So her younger sister before the war was known as Poland's Shirley Temple mm. because she sang, she danced, she recited poetry. But she was So she was little. She was like a little child star. Yeah, the younger sister is six years younger than Renya. And when Renya begins the diary, she's 14. And, um, and meanwhile, her sister is eight. And so her mom is busy living in Warsaw promoting uh, her sister's career. So Renia has to live with her grandparents in this uh, city named Przemysl. It's in the south of Poland. And so she starts the diary sort of to have someone to tell her secrets to. And it's probably because she's feeling lonely. She mentions a lot in the book about her longing for her mother. So she starts this diary just to have a friend with whom she can share things. And actually, the sister told me that she wasn't even aware that Renya had this diary at the time. So the only person who knew was her boyfriend later on. 
you know, it's a typical uh, teenage girl's diary at the beginning. She starts writing it in what year? Uh, she starts writing it in 1939 in January, so almost a year before the war actually starts in September 1939. And when the war does come, what does that mean for Jews in the town where Renia was living? Well, Przemysl is an interesting example, actually, of a city during World War II in Poland because the city was divided into two occupation zones. One part of the city was occupied by the Nazi Germans, and the other side of the city was occupied by the Soviets. The diary is actually really interesting just for the fact that she details both the German occupation and the Soviet occupation. We can see a lot of the time people only experience one or the other during the war. So her sister was living with her mom in Warsaw, but then her sister came to spend the summer holidays with Renya and her grandparents. And then the war broke out, and suddenly they were on the Soviet side of the city, whereas the mom was in Warsaw, which was occupied by the Germans. And so they were sort of separated for the whole war. One of the striking things about the diary is just how much she misses her mom. She had a very close relationship with her mom, and she constantly is uh, waiting for letters from her mom. And it's just kind of heartbreaking to read, actually, how much she misses her mom and how she feels like an orphan, even though she's not. Another thing that sounds quite striking about it, and this feels kind of similar to Anne Frank's diary in a way, is the way that the diary has this like really jarring mixture of horrible events that are happening, historic events, but also really personal reflections about like her first boyfriend and things like that. Is that something that struck you while you were reading it? Yeah, very much so. I was actually surprised to read the first third of the book and realize that there's very little about the war because the first third of the book is really something you can imagine reading in any current teenage girl's diary locked away in her bedroom. Mm. All these passionate, dramatic lines about, you know, her first kiss, the ups and downs of her first relationship. And then there's all these bits where she's talking about friends she likes, but then she doesn't like, and their arguments. It's just your typical teenage drama. But then suddenly, somewhere around, you know, one third of the way through, or halfway through especially, the war stuff really starts uh, becoming a big part. And it's very jarring to go from a passage where she's so excited that she just experienced her first kiss to another passage where... Uh, she's talking about murder. Um, and I actually, I have the book, The Diary, in front of me. So just to give you an example of how it goes back and forth, I have a passage here from June 1941, June 20th, 1941, where she talks about her first kiss with her boyfriend, uh, Zygmunt Schwarzer. So she says, It was all so sudden and unexpected and sweet and intimidating. I was at a loss for words and terribly mixed up. He said, Ranushka, give me a kiss, and before I knew it, it happened. He wanted more later, but I couldn't. I was shaking all over. I feel so strange and nice. It was so light, elusive, ethereal, delicate. There is much, much more, but I'm only interested in that one thing, that he has become so close to me, the dearest person in the world, and I'm dizzy all the time. How did it happen? No more now. I need to think and dream. We'll meet tomorrow, Z and I, you and I, and will tomorrow also be so good and sweet? 
And then a year later, almost a year later, June 7, 1942, we have this passage. Wherever I look, there is bloodshed, such terrible pogroms. There's killing, murdering. God Almighty, for the upteenth time, I humble myself in front of you. Help us, save us. Lord God, let us live. I beg you, I want to live. I've experienced so little of life, nothing. I don't want to die. I'm scared of death. It's all so stupid, so petty, so unimportant, so small. Today I worry about being ugly. Tomorrow I might stop thinking forever. Yes, yes, war is terrible, savage, bloody. I feel I've become like that because of it. How much do we know about the circumstances of her own death? So we don't actually know precisely how she died. Her sister doesn't even know. But we do know that right before she died, the Germans were going to deport a good part of the uh, residents of the Jewish ghetto in Przemysl. They were going to deport them to camps. So basically it was a death sentence. And so her boyfriend, Zygmunt Schwarzer, figured out a way to hide her and his parents in his uncle's attic. And the boyfriend also was Jewish, but he was able to uh, not get deported because he had a special stamp on his work permit. Meanwhile, Renya did not, uh, nor did his parents. So he hid them in his uncle's attic. And unfortunately, someone gave them away. The Gestapo came and um, they basically just immediately took Renya and Zygmunt's parents away and they shot them. It's probable that they shot them just outside on the street against this wall across the way from the apartment. The death is actually in the diary because before she went into hiding, Renya left her diary with Zygmunt. So he writes this chilling coda to the diary. It reads, three shots, three lives lost. It happened last night at 10.30 p.m. Fate decided to take my dearest ones away from me. My life is over. All I can hear are shots, shots, shots. My dearest Renusha, the last chapter of your diary is complete. Renya's sister told me that he actually never entirely got over Renya. He married another Polish a Jewish girl, but he always loved Renya, and he actually had this little shrine in his basement to Renya, where he had her photographs, he had photocopied pages of her diary, and he would go down there and read them and look at her photo. And apparently for his wife, this was hard. Uh, she had to be the rival of a girl who's no longer alive. Um, and, and Zygmunt actually had a bunch of brushes with death. He got sent to the Auschwitz and Birkenau Nazi death camp and survived. He even survived an encounter with Mengele, the notorious Auschwitz doctor who ran uh, experiments on inmates. And Mengele decided to let him live. Uh, we don't know why. Zygmunt didn't know why. He has all these brushes with death, and yet he survived and was able to move to uh, New York, become a doctor, move to New York. Just been tearing up at my microphone <laughs> listening to some of that. <laughs> to be honest, I also cried while reading the diary. I'm not someone who cries while reading every book or watching every movie, but I definitely cried. I was just sitting there in my apartment weeping to myself. In terms of like why we haven't heard about her until pretty recently, why did her story stay kind of secret for so long? 
the reason that you and I hadn't heard about Renya until recently, and in fact, the reason no one abroad and in Poland even hadn't heard about her recently is because this diary was locked away in a bank vault for decades and decades. Before she went into hiding, Renya left her diary with Zygmunt, and at some point, we don't really know the details, but at some point before probably before he got sent to Auschwitz, he left the diary with someone else. And then after the war, he got it back. We don't know the circumstances. So in the early 1950s, when Renya's sister and Renya's mother are living in New York, Zygmunt also is in New York, and he tracks down the mother and brings her the, the diary. And for the mother, this is so shocking and actually she was never able to read the diary it was just too painful for her and the sister actually told me that she herself has never read the entire thing either just because it's heart-wrenching as she says so Zygmunt brought the diary over to them and because the mother and the sister weren't able to read it they kept it somewhere at home and it languished and then after the mother died uh, the sister locked it away in a bank vault and that's where it stayed for decades until the sister's daughter, who is named after Renya, her second name is Renata, Alexandra Renata Belak. She was just curious about her uh, past and about this mysterious person that she was named after and that she never got to meet. When she found out about the diary, she dug it out of the vault and found someone in Warsaw who would translate it for her because she doesn't speak Polish. And then once she read it, she knew that this was an important story, not just for her in terms of her own personal history, but a story that everyone should read. At one point, she and her mother were at a movie screening in New York, and they approached the director and asked him if he would be interested in reading the diary. And of course, he, as he told me, you know, he, out of um, courtesy, you know, just to be polite, he said, sure, sure, I'll look. But then once he started reading, he was mesmerized. He said that he fell in love with Renya. And so he and the Bellex, the sister and her daughter, they, they were pretty much on a mission to get the book published, uh, make the documentary film. And it's taken a few years, but now they've managed to do that because uh, they self-published the diary in Polish a few years ago, but it, it wasn't really heard about much then. And now it came out in English this month, and it's going to be republished in Polish at the beginning of next year. And there's also about 15, um, or even more maybe now, translations in the works. So it really is going to be a story known around the world, sort of like Anne Frank's diary. How has her sister been dealing with all of this? Because as you say, for a long time, she couldn't even bring herself to, to read the diary. What's it been like to have Renia's story become like a, a more public thing? The sister told me that she's happy for Renya. The documentary film about the sisters is called Broken Dreams, and that's what that was. The war killed their dreams. Renya had wanted to be a writer, and the sister had wanted to go into showbiz, and she wasn't able. Neither one of them were able to uh, follow their dreams. And so I think the sister is just very happy that Renya's story is now known around the world. She has an incredible presence. She's this tiny, tiny lady, but she has so much life in her. She's just full of energy, and she has this big smile, and she's very elegant. I went to a, the film screening in, in Warsaw a few weeks ago, and she was there, and she recited poetry on stage. She told jokes. She was just a very um, 
incredible person to see. And she's 88 years old. She survived all of these terrible things, but she still has so much life in her. The other thing about the sister that was very striking, um, and I talked to a few audience members afterwards who said that they were just moved by her presence at the screening. At one point, an audience member asked her, So after everything you went through, I'm sure you felt a lot of hatred towards the Germans. How were you able to get over that? And her answer was to say, no, I never felt hatred. She chooses to see the good in people because a lot of people helped her. She said that if she had felt hate, she wouldn't she probably wouldn't be alive today. And at one point during the uh, Q&A session after the screening, she gave this warning to all of us. She said, all these isms, nationalism, populism, anti-Semitism, they're coming back. And she said, we don't want a repeat of millions of people dying. And when she said that, you know, there was this this lull in the audience. Everyone got quiet and then there was applause. I think that was the moment in the screening that people really felt moved by her. She comes across as a really big-hearted, generous and forgiving woman, which I think is something that she actually shared with Renia. There was a passage that you mentioned that really reflects that kind of side of Renia's personality. Yeah, that's the other thing about Renia that's so, so incredible is that she, like her sister was just so positive. Because I'd mentioned that Renya also wrote poems. Uh, so there's about 60 poems in the diary, and they're very well written. One of the poems, the one that really struck me, is about a German soldier. And so she starts the poem talking about how she hates the army, the German army, but she ends it talking about this one soldier and uh, how she empathizes with him. So I'll just read part of the poem because it's kind of long. But so the beginning goes, I curse the hundreds, thousands, millions when new recruits go to war. May they all meet their bullets. May neither of them come back to what they knew before. May grenades, horrible hail, bring them all down one by one. May the whole cursed army fail for the blood of fathers, brothers, sons. And then she goes, she switches over to the soldier. Slowly he walks, harried and weak, a soldier look how young, wounded in hand or in arm, hard to speak, his uniform hangs from his arm. He walks, he limps and rests by the wall. He's sweating, he won't walk too far. His gaze is a helpless begging call. His eyes, oh, how sad they are. So she continues talking about the soldier. And then at the end, she says, This is the fate, it's the life, and who can explain to me why I curse the thousands and millions, and for the one wounded I cry. So for me, that poem is just so heartbreaking because she's, at this point, she's gone through so much horrible war stuff, and yet she's still able to drum up empathy for the enemy. And I think that shows her incredible humanity and how great of a person she was. And that's just what makes this diary even more heartbreaking, that she died. She was murdered. Um, the director of the movie, Tomasz Magierski, actually talks about that, how when he was reading the diary, you know, he already knew the outcome. He knew what happened to her. And yet, as he's falling in love with Brenya and reading her words, he's hoping for a different outcome. He's hoping that maybe magically the diary will not end with her death. And yet. Everyone knows how it ends. <sighs> Such wasted talent. What an amazing person she was. 
Thank you very much to Anya for joining us. We always love hearing from her in Warsaw. I will put a link to her piece about Renia in the show notes. And Renia's diary is out now in English. Uh, it's already a New York Times bestseller and it's available from all good bookshops and probably bad ones too. Okay, well, we really need a happy ending this week. So, erosion. It has caused the crumbling sad end of many a building. As a cliff edge slowly or quite suddenly falls away, the building sitting on top eventually succumbs and falls to its death. We're going to see more erosion as the climate crisis develops, with sea levels rising, an increase of storms and rising temperatures, all making it more likely that coastal regions will suffer. Happy ending, he said. I'm talking about erosion because in Denmark, there was a lighthouse that has been sitting in an increasingly precarious position atop a sand dune on the northern coast. The land that the Rupjerg lighthouse sits on has been ravaged by high winds from the North Sea with fears that the lighthouse could actually topple into the sea. But this is a happy ending. So you guessed it. The lighthouse has been saved. Saved by a pretty ingenious scheme whereby they moved the lighthouse on skates. Not roller skates, but skates on two parallel rails. It's like skateboards on a railway track kind of thing. Just like that, yeah. A bit more high tech. Um, This delicate operation took place earlier this week and managed to move the lighthouse 70 metres inland to safety. A position which they predict should keep it standing for at least another 40 years. It was slow work. They could only move it at about 12 metres an hour because it was on sand and they had to keep ensuring that it didn't fall off the rails. But I highly recommend you look up the video of this skating lighthouse. It's quite an amazing feat. I'll post a video of it on our Facebook account. Come and find us. Um, Your parents just gave me quite a delicious piece of cake and I feel like to get home, somebody's going to need to put me on a skateboard on railway tracks and just kind of push me home. 12 metres per hour might take a bit of a while to get to Hackney. It's so far. London is too big. Yeah, it is. So yeah, I will post it on Facebook, although after um, Zuckerberg's testimony in uh, (laughs) Congress last week, I, I genuinely, I was thinking we shouldn't be on Facebook. Um, but what about our Patreon supporters group? Yeah, I know. Which is if where we got the story that. from. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, thank you again to our Patreon supporters for uh, giving us all these wonderful stories. Once again, this appeared on the group. Actually, you've posted it first. Maybe I did it first. Yeah, Actually, yeah that's true. Um, but I am really concerned about Facebook. Also, it's mostly just pictures of uh, weddings and babies now, and it's become less fun to hang out there. Apart from our Patreon group, which is actually still fun. That's literally the reason I'm there. Me too. If there was an alternative that wasn't using Breitbart News as one of their trusted news organisations, then perhaps I would be more comfortable going there. But don't let this put you off coming to join us on Patreon. Even if you don't have Facebook, it's still very nice being a Patreon supporter of us because if you donate a certain amount, you will get a special bag. Oh, and I think after the credits, we're going to play some special exclusive footage of one of our patrons, (laughs) aka Dominic's mum, receiving her bag and becoming a very, very happy woman as a result. So head to patreon.com forward slash Europeans podcast to give us a little bit of financial support if you fancy it. Otherwise, just follow us on Twitter at Europeans pod, Instagram, 
Instagram, Europeans Podcast, or send us an email, hello at europeanspodcast.com. We'll be back next week with... What's happening next week? We don't know yet. It's exciting. That's why this continent is so great. We don't know what's going to happen next week. But um, we'll see you there, same place, same time. Actually, not same place, because neither of us will be here in London. We promise there'll be a slightly less gloomy episode next week. Please don't let this put you off. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Well, look who it is. It's, <laughs> it's my mum. Dominic Kramer. Liz. Hello. And we're here because we've owed you for quite some time an exclusive limited edition Europeans podcast tote bag, fair trade cotton. Oh, I'm so proud. That looks great. It's perfect. Can I get one too, please? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>